Hey everyone, this is Brian with Church in the Loop. So glad you could join me today, and I hope you and your family and friends had a very Merry Christmas. I don't know if you got everything you want for Christmas. Uh, That's a big list, (laughs) but Christmas is a great time to bless others and see the smiles on their faces when we can give them a gift that we know is something special and something that would brighten their lives could be something very simple, it could be something very ornate and detailed, but the effect is the same. We know that it's a blessing to them. In the same way, um, I want to talk today about how we can be a blessing to the Lord, uh, how we can live lives that take that same mindset of Christmas, which is blessing others, and let's see how we can live a life that blesses the Lord. One of the gifts that I got for Christmas this year that I was super excited about was a pair of boots that I've been wanting for a long time. Uh, I've been going to the website, checking the price of these boots, and they're the kind of boots that you know you can wear year-round, basically. Um, they lace up. They're made out of leather, uh, so they're a little bit cost, uh, a little bit pricey, more than I can pay, And um, but I've been wanting them, and I've been thinking, well, maybe you know, maybe they'll go on sale. Um, Sometimes something goes on clearance and then that's your opportunity to get a good deal. So, you know, I've been checking every other day and no, they're not budging. (laughs) And I was like, man. And I was so excited because for Christmas, um, it was one of the presents that I received. And I was really super excited about it. I, I couldn't believe it. And I didn't expect it at all. And these boots are awesome. And what's funny is, so they smell like fresh leather. Um, there's just that special leather smell that you get for something that's freshly made out of leather. And I even woke up in the middle of the night and um, I could smell the boots in my room. Um, and it was just such a neat fragrance. And I, I, it just reminded me of that Bible verse that talks about how it says, we are the aroma of Christ. And ultimately that aroma is encountered, yes, by other people, but ultimately it's the aroma of Christ back up to our Heavenly Father so that when He looks upon our lives, He sees the aroma, He smells the aroma of His Son. And that's a special opportunity for us because we have this privilege, this opportunity to live a life that blesses others with the aroma of Christ, but ultimately blesses our Heavenly Father with the aroma of Christ. And so, I want us to look at a passage today out of Matthew 2, and it's a very familiar Christmas story. Um, In fact, we looked at it for our Christmas service that we recently had for Church in a Loop, and uh, we met on Zoom, and we looked at this passage together, and it was, it's a very familiar story of the wise men bringing gifts to baby Jesus, but I want to look at it through a lens in in several different ways today and see that it really, like that pair of boots I just got that really grounds me when I wear them. They're, you know, my feet are secure. I can walk through anything. I can go anywhere. Um, I want this story to give us a perspective that we can take with us wherever we go that will bring forth that fresh aroma of Christ to the world around us and ultimately to our Heavenly Father whom we desire to bless with our lives. So let's pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes to Matthew chapter 2, where we're going to encounter this short little passage, verses 1 through 12, that is the story of the wise men visiting Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord, we pray that as we look in this passage together, that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to put aside the distractions of the world, of life, and really hear your word in a fresh new way. I pray for the aroma of Christ to become more and more in our lives so that when you look upon us, Lord, you see the aroma of your Son. You smell that sweet aroma of Christ and that it's something that we take everywhere we go not just to you, but to how we treat the people around us. So help us, Lord, to grow more in that direction now as we listen to your holy word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, Try to. I'm going to read the passage. There's several different things going on here. Um, you have some different characters. You have the wise men, of course, and obviously you have baby Jesus. But you also have um, King Herod, who we're going to talk about in a minute and what he represents. So just let these different characters in this story um, really give them the attention they need in your mind. Um, when we talk about baby Jesus, you know, you're imagining this little baby in swaddling clothes. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's young and, and everything and the world is fresh to him. Imagine that. Imagine King Herod with his gold jewelry and chains and and his fancy robes and, and ornate, you know, furniture. Imagine him. Imagine the wise men with their uh, exotic um, dress code, basically their outfits, because they were from lands far away and looked very different than the people around them in Jerusalem that they were looking for the baby Jesus. And so imagine them and, and their curious gaze as they walked through the streets of Jerusalem and people looked at them and as they encountered the sights and smells of a new city like Jerusalem to them. So try to let all that sink in. Don't just gloss over it. Allow yourself to enter into the story. And let's see how we can discover more together. So starting it says, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judah, or Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So let's pause there for just a moment. There's the story, very familiar. First, uh, I want us to pay attention to Herod. 
So Herod is this king in Jerusalem, and he reigns over the whole area. And I don't really want to, you know, bother with getting into the the history of Herod and how he rose to power, but basically he had been in power. His family is a very powerful family, and he was like a local king in service to Rome. Uh, so as long as Rome was happy with the area, wasn't getting out of control, they let him be the local king, basically call the shots locally. As long as the tax money still flowed to Rome, they didn't care what he did, basically. It was like, you know, we... We don't want to hear what you do. Just don't cause any trouble. Don't, you know, don't let things get out of control. And really, you have complete freedom to do whatever you want to do. Just keep sending that tax money our way. And that was really the attitude back then. And, and Herod was certainly happy to do that. So he ruled with an iron fist and definitely profited from the tax revenue that he gathered and kept much of it for himself as well. In fact, some of the building projects that he orchestrated in Jerusalem were just fantastic and incredibly expensive and ornate and grand and glorious and he did it all to basically promote himself and to take the glory for himself so not unlike many politicians today who claim glorious achievements in their name and uh, we see that all the time but here's what I, I wanted to ask you a thought is this you know God can speak to anyone. In fact, in this story, he spoke to the wise men. Uh, he got their attention through the stars. They were they had studied the stars and the movements of the stars. Uh, we call that you know astronomy today. Um, they put a spiritual twist on everything as well. We call that astrology, where you look to the stars and you try to you know what you know what is it telling us those kinds of things. Well, back then, all of that was lumped together as a science. It was all in one. Uh, textbook basically and so they studied all this God got their attention through it and um, it's it's really interesting how in their study they realized something very special was happening and this king was being born um, that they saw through the alignment of the stars those kinds of things and that it, it led them to Jerusalem uh, to Bethlehem and so um, it's really an interesting uh, thought when you start thinking that way, like, whoa, you know, God can do anything and speak through any means, and he certainly got these guys' attention, and here they come. But, and what's interesting, too, is they returned by their home another way because God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. And, you know, you see Wicked King Herod in this story. You know, he's obviously the bad guy, the villain, and he, and he was. But have you ever asked, why didn't God speak to him in a dream? Why didn't God say, hey, here's the guy in charge. His name is Herod. Let's turn his heart and let's use the power structure that he has to welcome baby Jesus. I mean, that certainly wouldn't have been a wrong thing to do. Um, there would That would have been a really cool thing to see this leader coming and bowing down before this baby Messiah and surrendering to him. I mean... Isn't that what we're all supposed to do? So why didn't God tap Herod's heart to do that? Um, and, and it's interesting because that's, that's a thought that God could have done, um, but he chose not to. He chose to let Herod be Herod. And Herod was definitely happy to stay Herod. Herod had opportunity to go and worship Jesus and no desire. 
Um, in fact, when you read the story and he says to the wise men, go and, and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. That word I is in emphatic. He's like, so that I can go pay him homage. But Herod had no intention of really doing that. If he did, he would have joined the wise men. He would have said, hey, hold up, wait for me. I'm coming with you guys. Let's find this, this baby together. But no, he had other things to do that were more important than to search for Jesus. And isn't that really the truth of most people today? They have more important things to do than to search for the Lord. They acknowledge he may be there. They acknowledge that they should. But they really let convenience and their own agenda dictate what they're going to do and how much energy they're going to put into really seeking the Lord. And we have to be careful of that because there's a Herod inside us all who wants to have that same mindset, that same attitude. But this Herod took it a step further. He had no desire, really, at all. Um, in fact, when we read on in the story, um, he has all the toddler infants, um, babies up to two years old, killed that were boys because he didn't want this Messiah to survive. Because it was a threat. This new baby was a threat to his power structure. So when you look at the big picture, you have to ask, why didn't God change his heart? And I think when you look at all of Scripture, you see this pattern over and over where God seldom uses those in power positions to bring about the change in people's hearts. It's, it's really more the exception than the rule. It's really something that we, we just don't see that very often. And what we usually see is God tapping people on the margins or on the outskirts and saying, hey, you're going to be the one who brings the good news. You're going to be the one who announces deliverance and salvation. But it's, and it's kind of a grassroots type of change that takes heart in the, uh, the everyday life of everyday people, not so much those in power. In fact, you know, the classic example is, you know, you've got Saul who's trying to kill David because he sees him as a threat to his power structure, you know, and David's trying to serve the Lord, and Saul was like, no way, Jose. And you see all these kings of Israel, many of them struggled. They, once they became king, they, the power got to them. And so you, you often see revival in the scriptures and such, but you see it coming from the grassroots up. You don't really see it top down. It's more the exception than the rule. And certainly with Herod, that was the case. Um, you don't see any revival in Herod's heart towards the Lord at all. This would have been his moment, his shining moment. And instead he said, nope, I want to focus on me. And I'm going to solidify that by having all these infants killed to solidify my power and to protect it. And I just want to encourage you guys. Um, one of the things that troubles me that I've seen since, you know, the whole, we've been in an election year uh, for our, our presidency here, and I've really been very discouraged to see this rise in nationalism that has been placed in our current sitting president. Um, I don't like to talk about politics when I preach because I know there's Christians on both sides, but this attitude of 
we have this ruler who's going to protect our interests, and therefore we give him a license to do whatever and be however, as long as he protects our interests, is exactly the way most of the Jerusalem in the time of Christ felt about Herod. He protects our interests against Rome. So we will put up with how bad he is. And that is a dangerous place to be. Because what happens is, when God starts a movement through his people, the power structures don't like it. And we have a choice. Will we be a part of the movement that reaches the lowly, the disenfranchised, those who have been hurt through injustice and pain, and come by their side and help them? Or will we side with our rulers to maintain the status quo because it's in our quote-unquote best interests? And that was what was happening back then, and I see history repeated all the time, and you see it today. So we have to be careful with how much we look to our leaders as the flag bearers of who we want to be. In Scripture, I don't see that as what we're supposed to do. In Scripture, I see Jesus saying, go love the least of these, because when you love the least of these, you love me. In Scripture, I see Jesus saying, go wash feet like I washed yours, and be the servant, you know, if you want leadership, go be a servant first. And so, in Scripture, we see all that turned upside down as we follow Christ. And so, we have to be very careful with what we do with our leaders and what kind of pedestal we put them on. And here, Herod was all about his pedestal. And God chose not to use him. So, just let that be a... Um, a word of wisdom for us, not to look to our leaders to do the work that God has called you and I to do. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not our government and not our leaders, but us. Now, we hope that we have righteous leaders. We hope that the policies of our government fall in line with Scripture and what's right and true. But ultimately, it's on us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay, So just wanted to put that before you today. So we have these wise men and they come to Jesus and they bring these three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And really what I want to do today is I want to talk about the wise men and their gifts. Now those gifts that they brought were not uncommon in Bible days to present in a sense of worship or in a sense of homage. Um, there's a story that is from about Oh, about 200, about 300 years before Christ was born, there was a king in Syria who he went to the temple of Apollo and he offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh as an act of devotion and honor to the god Apollo. So this was not an uncommon idea. But what's interesting is they are bringing this gold, frankincense, and myrrh to a baby. Uh, in the sense of worship to this baby. So that's what made this situation very unique and different. Who is this child, this Messiah? Now, 
there's been a lot of symbolism about the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. And we really, the scriptures don't explain or give us why it was gold, why it was frankincense, and why it was myrrh. So we are, I think, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I think we are free to explore this deeper and to pray about what that symbol, what they could symbolize for us today. And so what I want to do is propose to you what they could symbolize for you and I 2,000 years later today. What could those three things represent? Now, obviously back in Bible days, gold was a very valuable commodity. Um, it was considered the treasure of kings. And if you had a gold piece or a gold nugget, that kind of thing, that was something of incredible value. Very few people had that. Um, the, the currency of the day back then was all coins, but to have a golden coin was incredibly uh, valuable. That was something that very, very few people could ever even store up and get on their own because most people just made enough money to get through the day and buy some bread and food at the <clears throat> local market and have enough to feed your family for that day. So it was all very uncommon to see that. Only the uh, richest of the rich could pretty much have that. So for them to come and bring gold to honor Jesus and give that to him as a gift, and we don't know how much, but I'm sure it was more than just a little, um, was definitely um, a huge gift. But it is also symbolic of the kingship of Christ. It was, it was symbolic that this was something that is valuable to a king. And therefore, we, giving, we are giving this baby this treasure of gold. Now, where I want to apply that to us today is by saying this. What are the things you can do that show forth value to the kingdom of God? What can you do to bring gold to others in the name of Jesus? What can you do to show them they are valued? Um, one of the, I used to work in retail, um, and now I'm a, a manager in a bus company, but there's lots of books and stuff written on if you want to keep customers in a retail environment. The question is, how can you treat them like gold? How can you make them feel valuable so that they want to come to your business as opposed to others? What value add can you put on top of what you give? So when they get your product, they're getting that plus something else that's different and it makes it set apart. And the same in management. How can you show forth a sense of value to your employees? What value can you bring to your company as an employee? But how can you value your employees so that they don't want to leave and work somewhere else? And so this concept of value is important and it's rare and it's worth fighting for. And I think one of the, the teachings in this passage for us, if we're going to be grounded and have that aroma of Christ in our lives, we need to always think in terms of what today, what value can I bring to others in the name of Christ? And how can I make them feel like gold? How can I, what can I do that helps them feel special? And what kind of sacrifice of value can I put forth upon them?
you know, we see that at Christmas time because we're giving gifts to others and those gifts represent that attitude. But I think this is challenging us to live this way. Then you also have the frankincense. Now, frankincense was made, and so was myrrh, it was made from the sap of these trees that grow, grew and still grow in the Bible lands and in um, Northeast Africa. <clears throat> and so you have this special resin or this sap that can be harvested, and it makes frankincense and also makes myrrh. Um, I grew up in the Catholic Church tradition, and I was an altar boy, and I experienced the smell, the the aroma of the frankincense. Um, there were certain times um, when the priest would use frankincense, and it was my job to scoop out and to hold the. Um, he would scoop out and put on the little canister that I had, and and he would put the frankincense in it, and then I would hand it to him, and then he would wave this canister through the air, and this this little smoke would kind of waft into the the church. I can still smell that today. I can still smell the frankincense years, decades later, because it just ingrained in me the aroma. And one of the things that the scriptures teach us is in Revelation chapter 8 verse 4, it talks about how our prayers to God are kind of like frankincense. Our prayers to Him go up before His throne like this aroma of, of that comes before him, and it makes this uh, beautiful scent of, of sacrifice to the Lord. And it says that those are our prayers. It says in 8.4, it says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So there's a sense in which I think this is challenging you and I with the, the idea of frankincense is how can we live a life that is prayerful before the Lord and has this prayerful mindset, this, this spirit of prayer before the Lord. And, and I think what that looks like is in any in every situation you find yourself in, you approach it with an attitude of prayer. When you're at work and you... you you're not, just, you're not just doing your job. You're doing it with an attitude, the Lord is with you. Um, and you're maybe even talking to Him quietly in your, in your thoughts as you do whatever you do. Um, you're asking for the Lord's guidance. But there's this prayerful attitude. And it, it brings about a softness. It brings about a, a freshness. It brings about a connection to the Lord in every circumstance. And because of that connection... You're entering that moment not as you would normally, but you're entering that moment with the presence of the Lord. So it sanctifies that moment, and then it also sets it apart to be different than if you just rushed into it on your own. And, and that's something we can learn to practice in every situation in life, is this prayerful, frankincense attitude of, hey, I want to have this prayerful connection to the Lord in every moment. And I want my prayers to be going to heaven like this prayerful sense of aroma to the Lord. Um, frankincense has been used for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, even in the 16th century, um, Egypt, it was used. Uh, there's papyri that talk about its medicinal effects. And one of the things, it's mentioned over 50 times in the Bible, 
And one of the effects is that it was believed to purify the air. And it was it was believed it was called the king of oils because of that. Um, it was it, it was believed to have this this quality to it that was even it would if you suffered from arthritis or chronic pain that somehow this frankincense would help with that. And even today, it's believed to have medicinal effects in that direction. I believe when we have an attitude of prayer, it's like we're doing the same thing. The, if situations are inflamed with anger, if situations are inflamed with pain, and we approach those situations with an attitude of prayer, it's going to bring a calm to that situation. It's going to bring the presence of Christ to that situation. And I think that's part of what we are called to be and do as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So we're bringing the Lord gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh on a daily basis. The gold is, what can I do that shows how valuable people are to the Lord and bring that value to them from the Lord? What can I do that will cost me something today for the kingdom? It's not just, I'm not letting just convenience guide my life. I'm going out of my way to do something valuable for the Lord. And then frankincense. How can I have an attitude of prayer wherever I go to bring that anti-inflammatory effect? Um, in my job, one of the things we talk about is because we have conflicts in our workforce. I, I manage almost 150 employees, and sometimes we have uh, office drama and conflicts and those kinds of things. We always talk about de-escalation. And sometimes I have to have employees come into my office that are not getting along and, and we have to de-escalate the situation. All right, let's listen to your perspective. Let's listen to your perspective and let's de-escalate this. Let's figure out how to meet in the middle. That's the attitude of prayer is you're bringing a, an attitude of de-escalation to the world around us so that the calming and the healing of Christ can enter into that situation. And that takes listening, that takes pausing, that takes acknowledging, that takes um, just letting people feel heard and listened to. And so <clears throat> I think that's part of the frankincense that we are to bring. And then it says they brought him myrrh. <clears throat> now, myrrh in Bible times was used as an, uh, as an anointing, um, typically on those who had died. Um, and it was a symbol of death. It was like an embalming oil. An anointing embalming oil. And I think that that, of course, represents that, you know, with the, the sacrifice that Jesus would bring one day uh, upon himself uh, for the good of all of us upon the cross. But we see this in Scripture, where Scripture challenges us to make sure that we live lives that have this, um, in, uh, this sense of, am I following Christ, and if I am, what am I dying to? What, In other words, there should be an element of suffering in our lives for Christ. Um, none of us want to suffer. None of us. That's, let's be honest. If I said, hey, um, raise your hand if you want to suffer, I don't think your hand would shoot up really fast. You might think, well, I, I guess so, but not really. I mean, none of us want to suffer. It goes against our human nature to suffer. We're, we're, we're all about self-preservation. But when we follow Christ, there has to be an element of saying, I'm setting aside my selfish desires and interests to serve 
my Lord. Like, listen to Galatians 6.14. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's us, have crucified the flesh. That means ourselves with its passions and desires. So what that's saying is, if we're going to follow Christ, part of us has to die. And part of us has to be put aside. And that's the part of us that wants to do things that benefit me, and that are selfish, and that are self-centered. That's hard to do. Um, that takes a spiritual strength that only the Lord can give. And to step outside of those desires and those passions that the Bible talks about. And it goes into greater detail when we get into Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 17 talks about what those tend to look like. Um, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. And what it means by earthly, it means primal. And then it lists all these primal desires like uh, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. And it says, on account of these, the wrath, the anger of God is coming on those who are disobedient. It says, these are the ways you also once followed when you were living that kind of life. But now get rid of all that, including anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And that's Jesus. So, you can't go through that process on a daily basis without a part of you uncomfortable. There needs to be a part of you that, that you're dying to. And that's where the myrrh goes. <laughs> okay? You, 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 you put that part to death in the name of Christ, and you put the grace of Christ upon it. You cover it with the strength of Christ, the presence of Christ the help of Christ. And you say, Jesus, I give this to you. Help me to be different. And I'm covering it with your grace. And that is the myrrh. So there needs to be a part of us that is daily dying to ourselves. And that's hard. Um, that goes against the grain of how we're so wired to be. And, and we raise our children to be independent and to do their own thing and to pursue their own dreams. Well, that's good to an extent. But then that can also be too much where they need to learn there's a part of themselves that has to die. And so in the same with us, when following Jesus, there's got to be a part of you that's uncomfortable. When it says that Herod in this passage was deeply troubled, it says that he was shaken to the core. That's what the verb in, in, in Greek means. Uh, when it says that he was troubled, it, and it, when he heard about this baby Jesus being born, this Messiah, it said, um, I'm trying to find the verse here. Um, it says in verse 3, when Herod, King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. That word frightened, it, it means to be shaken to the core. Why? Because his life as he knew it was now under threat of new ownership, new management. When we give our lives to Christ, we're under new management. And there's parts of us that welcome that because it's a liberation. It, the chains of our sinful ways and old habits that tore us down and the, the shame and the guilt, those chains are broken. We don't have to live that kind of life anymore. Jesus has 
taken our sins, put them on the cross, and including our shame and our guilt. But there's a part of us that is still shaken to the core because it wants to be its own boss. And that's the part of us that has to die. And only through the Lord's help can you keep that on the altar where it needs to stay as a sacrifice to the Lord. So where do we go from here? The challenge I want to give you guys is to live a life where you're continually offering gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the Lord. Gold. Look for ways to show forth the a value that others have before God, a value that Jesus died to reinforce and to give them, and a value that shows that you love God through doing something in His name. You're, you're bringing value to the world around you. You already have that value in Christ. You're just doing something that reflects that in Christ to others or reinforces the value they have in the Lord. And so basically, you're offering to the Lord a gift of gold, a gift of value. Then frankincense. Look for ways to practice a continual attitude of prayer in your life. For some of you, that means more contemplation. You're just too busy. And you need, that's the way I am. That, I fall into that category. I literally want to milk every second of every day as much as I can. My goal is to hit my pillow exhausted at the end of the day. Well, some days that's okay. But as a lifestyle, that's, I don't think that's okay. I think I need to build in my life more contemplation before the Lord. More sitting at His feet and just listening. And not trying to have an agenda. And maybe that's you too. But look for ways to be more prayerful. <clears throat> more attitude of prayer in your life. And then the myrrh. Look for ways to put aside the old you. And to be new in Christ. To live a life that reflects His smile to the world around you. How do you do that? How do you reflect the goodness of God in such a dead place that this world seems to have? In, in a, such a broken world. Look for those ways. And it starts with your own heart. And, and I think that's where the prayerful attitude comes into place because the Lord will show you those things. As you live that life, you're continually bringing forth these gifts before the Lord. Now, I want to close with a thought. All of these were brought to baby Jesus. And these he did nothing to receive these. They were He couldn't. He was a baby, right? And these gifts were brought to him honor him in the same way by jesus's death and resurrection he is bringing you gold frankincense and myrrh of a new life found in him and just like baby jesus received these gifts could do nothing to earn them you like now baby jesus receive his grace that saves you you don't add to it at all he brings these gifts to you he brings the gold his kingship to you that he shares with you the crown that jesus has he shares it with you. The royal, the, the royal position that he has in heaven, he shares with you. The frankincense of his connection to God, that God the Father that is pure, he shares that with you. When you enter a relationship with Christ, you're coming into this incredible prayerful connection that Jesus has established with the courts of heaven and God the Father above. And you're immediately in the presence of God the Father through Christ. That's pretty cool. And then the myrrh, the myrrh that was used for anointing, 
He has anointed you for a new life. A life that passes through the grave, beyond the grave, into eternity with him. A life that puts aside the old selfish nature that so confined you and allows the true you to come alive. A life of anointing. That's the cool thing that Jesus has done for you. He brings you gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh every day. And now we have the opportunity to reflect gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the world around us every day in honor of him. One of the gifts that I got our cat for Christmas, it was kind of an early gift actually, is Larry the Lizard. Um, Now you haven't met Larry. (laughs) So we were in the store the other day, and I saw this... I was in the toy section, which, hey, toys are fun. <clears throat> I still like them. Anyway, there was, uh, in the near the stuffed animals, this rubber lizard, and it was like an iguana. And it's about the size of a little squirrel. But it's kind of rubbery, and it moves, you know, it doesn't have a battery or anything, but it's just kind of, you know, if you jiggle it in your hand, whatever, it kind of looks like it's squirming around. It's kind of squishy. <clears throat> so I thought, you know, that would be a fun gift to get our cat. Flint, because he this is his first Christmas, so I went ahead and got it to him and gave it to him early, a couple weeks early. He loves Larry the lizard. Now, what's fun? I, I named him Larry, by the way. So when you grab Larry and you throw him, Flint likes to chase him, grab him, and bring him back to you and play fetch. But wherever you throw Larry, that's where Flint will go. My hope for you guys as you look at this story. Yeah, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. That wherever you go, these three gifts will chase you all the days of your life. Number one, that you'll know the joy of receiving them from Jesus. When you wake up, they're already waiting for you by, by your bed. He's already brought them. And then he's saying, now, who can you take these gifts to every day in my name? And I pray that these gifts would follow you all the days of your life as you walk with Jesus and enjoy a fun, adventurous life in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this, the three wise men that brought these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that this reminds us of how we can live differently for you today. I thank you for the gold, the kingship that you sealed and now give to us by your death and resurrection. That, can, that royal connection with God that gives us that frankincense, that prayerful connection <clears throat> that we wouldn't have any other way. And Lord, I thank you for the myrrh, the anointing that you give us to live a life that's truly different and set apart for you. And I pray that we would bring these gifts to people around us. And instead of looking to our national leaders to do that for us, we would do it ourselves in your name and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.